In the short story collection, To Be a Man, Nicole Krauss helps us decipher the puzzle of what it means to be a man or a woman in various roles and stages of life and the tensions that exist within all of these relationships, from the familial to the romantic. This is Book Public, a podcast about books from Texas Public Radio. I'm Yvette Benavides. Nicole Krauss is known for her acclaimed novels, including Forest Dark and The History of Love. Now in a collection of short stories in contemporary settings in Switzerland, Tel Aviv, Japan, New York City, and South America, she shows us male characters as sons, fathers, lovers, friends, seducers, and even a lost husband, and all the women who try to figure out these men. We spoke to Nicole Krauss from her home in New York City. So the title of this collection is To Be a Man, and the stories do help us ask and begin to answer what it means to be a man, but what was it in general terms that you wanted to begin to set up for readers about this question? Right. Well, of course, you know, it's impossible to capture in a title all the many notes and chords one hoped to um, hit in a book, especially in a book of short stories, which is full of a lot of variety. But I knew that long before many of the stories in this collection were written that I wanted to write a book with this title because under this title, a lot of things that matter to me could live together. So to hear the phrase to be a man, I think echoed and held within that phrase is the question of to be a woman with men. Um, and it was, you know, that question was really in the forefront of my mind when I started to conceive of this collection, which was a few years ago, um, right after I finished Forest Dark. And I was thinking a lot about how I have, as a writer, invested myself in becoming men on the page as often as I have in becoming women. And that I've always been drawn to know what that is or to explore it, just explore the complexities of it. And then, of course, as someone who's in her mid-40s, I've had a lot of experience with men in my life beginning as a child, all of us who are you know, brought up by fathers or have brothers begin that experience as we get older it changes and grows and becomes more complex as we have friends and lovers husbands all kinds of men in our lives and then I happen to have two boys and I'm raising those boys they are 14 and 11 now so at least one of them is on the cusp of manhood and the other will soon follow and that question of what it is become a man in this moment in time and always, but particularly now is also very much been in my mind. So all of those things are wrapped together as I, as I sort of set out to, to fill out this collection of stories. And the stories are also very much about women, of course, and what it means to be a woman at various stages of her life and in all of these relationships, just as you mentioned, um, it's it's just such an intrinsic element. So I was so curious about the story Switzerland. The familial relationships there are very complicated between fathers and daughters, for instance. And 
I, I start to see what it means from that first story to be a man by way of these father characters, even say the father of Soraya in the story, who might not be a major character, but but he's a very important one as we come to understand that story. Yeah, I, that story, Switzerland, is the first story in the collection. And I, in my mind, as I structured the book, it's bookended by the last story in the collection, which is the title story, To Be a Man. And there are, you know, there are many different narrators in these 10 stories, but those two narrators share a lot in common. Um, they're not the same, but they share a lot in common. And one story is at the beginning um, of such a narrator's life, the narrator being a woman in her mid-40s um, living right now. And the other is a contemporary picture of that life. Um, and I, you know, I think, as I alluded to, we as women experience manhood, many of us, most of us, first through our fathers and, you know, Father figures are <laughs> complex and varied, right? Um, I remember some years ago, may- maybe more than 10 years ago, I read this extraordinarily beautiful profile written by um, the wonderful writer uh, Judith Sermon, wonderful literary critic and journalist in The New Yorker, and it was about the playwright Yasmina Reza, a French playwright. She wrote art. I don't know if you Mm-hmm. Or your listeners are familiar with that play, and but she's written wonderful novels. And there was this line that Judith quoted of her in there in conversation, and she said, "You know, she was talking about her father, and she said that her father was um, brutal but loving. That you know, there, he was there was this kind of strength and tenderness to him, and that she learned from him." that a person can't be reduced and that without that understanding, she could have never become a writer. And I just remember being so struck by that. And it has stayed with me and echoed in my sense as a person, as a writer ever since that what interests me both in people and life and in those that I want to become or spend time with on the page, the, the ones who can't be reduced who are just shot through with paradox and, um, these fathers, both of them, in that story, Switzerland, and in the final story, To Be a Man, and in other stories in between, I think share that in common. They can't be reduced. I'm thinking, too, about the the story, uh, Zasia on the Roof. Mm-hmm. Uh, so something you just said reminded me of that story, too. It shows what it is to be a man whose life is underscored even by the very first line of that story, and I have it written down here, heels dug into the tar paper, 23 floors above 110th Street, cradling the newborn grandson. How did he wind up here? I felt like that first line, that's a whole life somehow right Mm -hmm. there. And it really is not a simple thing, but something about knowing then how that story ends from the outset colors every aspect mm. of the story for me and helps me hold the character somehow in ways, I don't know, like circumspect and, and then somehow clear and really open. And I find what a complicated figure he is with this rich life that, frankly, people might not consider because he's an older man. 
and they might not appreciate him anymore. I mean, he's able to move through the rooms of that space rather quietly and, and go up to the roof. But he also shows what it is to be a man of a certain age and carry yeah. this history. And I, I just found him to be such a fascinating character in this question about fathers and grandfathers and, and, and even the story of a boyhood. He fascinated me as a character, too, which is why I couldn't let go of him. He was with me for a long time on the page before I ever finished that story. And I think one of the things that drew me to him, his name is Broadman, and and for your listeners, Broadman is nearing the end of his life, and when we meet him in the story, he's just barely survived stomach cancer. So in his, his own explanation, he's died and come back to life, and while that's happened, his first and only grandson has been born. And he, the story of Bron is really a story of a man who has been bent by duty and responsibility to tradition. He was the son of Jewish immigrants to America, and his parents were religious, and he grew up to be a professor of Jewish history at Columbia University. And he really, there's a kind of, you know, there's an ire in him and a frustration and a um, a grief um, about having lived his life torqued always um, by the, the pressure of that duty and the burden of the responsibility to that past and what he wants for that newborn child ultimately begin to understand or he begins to understand is this nearly impossible thing, which is what would it be to grow free of the past, to grow uninformed by the past, to grow wildly toward the future and can this child have that more at least than he had that? And so that's why he ends up on the roof with this child. I won't give away the story mm-hmm. of exactly why he gets there. But, but you know, that, that question of how are all of us, and I sometimes write about this. I've written other um, moments in my work, like in the book, uh, novel, Great House. But I've written about it sometimes in a Jewish context. Um, but it's a universal idea. How are all of us? affected by these two contrasting forces, one which is the pull of the way that it shaped us, our responsibility to it in a familial or cultural um, way, and how are we, um, how do we deal with that as it relates to our desire to become ourselves most fully? To most freely, which is, you know, of course, a very American idea, right? That we can all self-invent and become anything mm-hmm. we want. <laughs> and the rest of the world, I think, accepts more easily the the pressures of being shaped by the past. But it's a struggle in all of us, I think. Um, and it, it's been a place in my work, it's a fault line I've been interested to kind of pitch my tent at. Mm-hmm. Well, the characters are encumbered by so many things here, but and also by place, by identity, by culture. This intersection of belonging and, and yet not belonging, being other in this, it's, it's like these layers of conflict and meaning in these stories. Um, as much as anything else here, I think that the settings too, because these, these stories take place in many different settings, and the spaces of these stories, they sort of emerge like another really complicated part of each character so how does that that idea of identity bring you to this 
space as a as a writer of of place in a way too. Yes, you're so right to put your finger on that. Place has always drawn me as a writer. I'm very interested in describing a place or inhabiting different places. And so my work has gone from New York to Tel Aviv to London to South America to Japan and, and, and then some, you know, and to Berlin. And, I, you know, all of those places, I think, exist in this collection. And many of them have existed in all of my novels at the same time. And I think that comes, you know, from being the child of immigrants. Like my four grandparents were from four different countries in Europe, and they all left because of the Holocaust. They had to leave. And my mom grew up in London, and my dad in New York and Tel Aviv. It just, I grew up with a sense of, like, being composed of these many, many different places and that there was no one geography, literal geography, that could ever be called home, but that each of these places represented both a loss and a gain in some ways. Some of those places my family never could return to. But then we also had this strange luck, and this became clear to me more and more as a writer, of being able to be part of many places, right? So school would end at vacation time, Christmas break, and we would go off to Europe to visit family or Tel Aviv or Jerusalem. And over time, the richness of that, long long before like globalization was on everybody's lips all the time, <laughs> um, was sort of a reality in my life. And it's interesting, just the last thought, I, and I guess this will give your listeners some sense of how significant play I, I I teach sometimes in my the last class I taught last fall before everything went to Zoom and so I'm taking a break <laughs> for now um, was at Columbia University to some of the MFA students and I teach what's called a craft class which means just reading novels with writers and thinking about how they're made. Um, the class that I last taught was called This Place or No Place, and it was all about the notion of place in novels. And we, we read um, novels that take place entirely in a room or a house and those that have to do with a city or those that have to do with a landscape or those that are in imaginary spaces. So it's something that I, I find very, very evocative in literature generally, and I'm sort of moved to try to do or have no choice but to... Um, do in my own work too. Well, you mentioned Tel Aviv, the character of Boaz in the story I Am Asleep But My Heart Is Awake uh, is mm-hmm. fascinating to me. Uh, the The father in the story is too, for what we know of him, um, but it's the, the daughter, the protagonist's reactions to Boaz that interest me so much. They're so curious. She has inherited uh, the father's apartment in Tel Aviv and his clothes and his watch and his the book that he had been reading, which I also find really to be such poignant details. But she also ends up somehow inheriting this other relationship with this person who lives in that apartment or is staying there. Um, and we're not so sure if is she roman- romantically attracted to him or is she interested in figuring him out almost as a surrogate father. I mean, it's such an enigmatic story, and yet there's something about her unusual behavior that for some reason uh, it just rings so true and somehow resonant. (laughs) Thank you. Well, that that story 
I'm asleep, but my heart is awake. That that line is from Song of Songs. And in my mind, and believe me, this, you know, what I know what my stories are about when I start them. And when I'm in the middle of them, it's only later when I say, <laughs> think about them in this context that these things become clearer. But to me now, that story is very much, um, of course, it's about grief and it's about this liminal space in which the, the dead, those who have we have slowly transformed themselves into memory but it's it's also about something that i think all of us experience which is that that strange moment or or many moments um in in life in which our parents possess these vast rooms of being that we've never entered that they are much larger people than we ever imagined they were as children that there are not only secrets, but there are just aspects of their being that were not accessible to us. That's something that I find myself returning to in part because I also have children. Mm-hmm. I raise children, and so I've been on both sides of that. In fact, ironically, you know, my older son is just now reading one of my novels for the first time. Um, it's the first of my novels he's read. He's reading The History of Love, mm-hmm. and, you know, in, in the car ride to to the pod because if they don't go to school anymore <laughs> on the car ride to the pod this morning he said guys it's so strange to think that you made up these characters <laughs> and i see that he's he's having that experience of like this these rooms that he didn't know existed you know um and i think that that you know there, there are other echoes of that in the story collection i don't know if you remember in the story the husband when tamar sort of wonders out loud whether there are parts of her mother mm-hmm. that her mother kept to herself in order to stay sort of to keep an, an, an individual existence separate from motherhood that she herself tomorrow who has her own children somehow was incapable of doing so that that question is 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 echoed throughout the book but i think that story that we're talking about i'm sleeping my heart is awake is like sort of a, a most close examination of it along with other things mm-hmm. far too move through those rooms and see all of the things that her father had collected and his, you know, his tchotchkes and, and how he had been living, the small bed and the larger bed, all of that. Yeah, I see. And I see, too, um, uh, the mother character in the final story sort of on the other end of that, right? Um, exactly exactly what you say. Um, I also find really interesting sleeping in the stories, <laughs> uh, sleeping that goes on in these stories. Um, for example, in uh, To Be a Man, where the German boxer will not sleep with another person in the bed, um, something there about his hypervigilance or this idea of not wanting to be um, in that state of vulnerability that we're all in when we sleep. But there is so much around uh, sleeping in a few of the stories that I just found uh, really interesting. Did have you considered that idea? Well, the, like the one of the great joys of publishing a book is that you get to speak to people like you, and they hold up. A, it's interesting you're saying that because one of the previous interviewers I spoke to um, pointed out something that's related to that, which I hadn't noticed. And she said, "There's so many." single beds like twin beds in this in this book <laughs> and I thought wow and, I, and then I start, we started to sort of think aloud about why that was and 
I was, you know, I, th- I think you're, so you're right. I think it's obviously that's related to sleep, the ways in which are we awake or are we asleep? Are we alive or are we, you know, in, in a period of um, kind of withdrawal in some ways. And But that question of the twin bed versus large bed is interesting to me too because this not, this collection is shot through with this question of um, whether or not to stay in a relationship, what is the value of the stability and security of togetherness, enduring togetherness, which of course we all need in some form or another, whether it's with our friends or our children or parents or lovers or husbands or wives. But, you know, there's always that question in, in, in romantic relationships about, you know, is, is it preferable to have that comfort and stability where we have a place that we belong or on the other end of the spectrum, how drawn are we to the need for change, for new and fresh experience that will allow us to evolve? And those two things are always in conflict with each other, and we're always going to be, all of us, in different times in our life, on the spectrum of working out where we where we feel most comfortable at that moment. And so there's something, you know, there's many moments in these stories of, of that, standing in the threshold of do I go or do I stay, like in future emergencies, for example, or... Mm-hmm other stories inside that question of like the single bed versus the double bed, I think has resonance in that sense. Um, but, you know, I, I, I love, I, it's a particularly a joy with a collection of short stories because there are these small patterns that get picked up by wonderful readers and shed light, even for me, after having written these and read them many times and copy edits, <laughs> copy edited versions, um, I still get to be a surprise. Well, I love the as you're as you're saying this, I'm picturing the baby in uh, Susie on the roof, the, in the in the little Moses basket, and then in to be a man, the older son, as the mother is uh, saying good night to him, and he still is open to the idea of cuddling and um, doesn't want to grow up <laughs> and he's lying in his bed, right? So, I, yeah, there's something. Right, and even more, and then in the next moment, in a metaphorical way, she describes, She said, he says, I don't, you know, he still wants to stay a child, and she says, but of course, he's already no longer a child. He's on the sandbank, right? And the shores yeah. behind him and in front of him is that this, you know, sea that goes on and on and the water, as they say, is rising. And so your Moses basket seems like a good fit right there, you know. (laughs) It all makes sense. (laughs) (laughs) No, but it's so true about this collection, um, how we see these all as characters. And I'm thinking about the older son right now. It's, we want love. We want a sense of place. We want to belong. And we want to understand um, our place in the world, the uh, the freedom, the type of freedom and independence that we know has to come as almost a rite of passage in growing up, establishing relationships with other people, moving outside the family home. Although some of the characters are moving, are wanting to move back in, right? But I don't know. There's mm-hmm. there's just this this thread that's running through the stories, even for the, this young character that I see him on the on the precipice of. Uh, something so momentous, which is to be a man, to become a man. Um, right. There's the, the the you know in that story, there's a moment in which the narrator is describing a trip and 
they've gone to visit there in Tel Aviv and they've gone with her friend to visit the Moshav where he grew up, which in Hebrew is called freedom. And so as they drive back after the day to Tel Aviv, she says, we're driving away or towards freedom, right? Because freedom being the Moshav they're leaving or this question with his children in the back seat, like, are they leaving their freedom or driving toward it as they become individuals or is childhood a place of more freedom? And I think that that, you know, that, that, question that conflict of needing to be individual and independent and needing to belong is just like the most basic conflict truly and you know goes back to sort of the beginning of human society i sometimes wonder i like, guess you, you were saying that I, I sometimes wonder whether that conflict isn't further complicated by our americanness um because in America, we have this kind of legendary tale of our ability to totally self-invent and become anyone. And we have the practical reality of the fact that people leave their families and go across the country. There's not, it's such a huge country and to, to be able to work and live, you often have to leave your family or people want to leave their families so they can become something else. And that's just absolutely the norm in this country, as is the idea that we each are, you know, these these self-made creatures, whereas in other countries like Israel, where that story also takes place, children live with their parents ongoing, you know, <laughs> and they don't go anywhere because the whole country is tiny. They live right next to where they, so there's never that expectation that the kids are going to go off and leave. And so there's a very different idea of what that independence means. And that's, that's the case in so many places in the world, right? Where there's a different tradition, of family and society and community than there is in America or different, le- different legends are at play mm-hmm. in, in the national, you know, sort of fabric. So I don't know, but, it, but regardless, I know that, that, you know, that's something that is to be human is to struggle with that. And, um, and certainly these characters are in the thick of that struggle, many of them. Nicole, thank you so much. What an honor to get to talk to you. I'm such a fan of your work. Thank you. So such a pleasure to talk to you, too. I really appreciate how closely you read these stories. Nicole Krause is the author of the short story collection, To Be a Man. It's published by HarperCollins. This has been Book Public on Texas Public Radio. Write to us at bookpublic at tpr.org. Jacob Rosati composed our theme music. Bree Kirkham is our digital producer. Dan Katz is Texas Public Radio's news director. I'm Yvette Benavides. <laughs>